Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Well, a few things have happened since we last spoke on the last rest day. I asked our experts in the Alps if Pogacar could be beaten. Yes, they said, if other teams isolate him through their strength of number. And we all know what happened on the Col de Granon. Today, the reassembled peloton faced 21 hairpins of Alpe d'Huez. On the 14th of July, France's National Day, and the winner was a Brit and a mountain biker. Is nothing sacred. Don't forget you can subscribe to Rouleur magazine at rouleur.cc and follow stage-by-stage updates with Rouleur on all social platforms. Rouleur editor Ed Pickering spent the day on the Alp, um, and Rouleur's James Start is fresh off the moto, and both of them are now in the press room. Uh, James, first of all, how was it for you today? Oh, the Alpe d'Huez stage is, is a really hard day on the motorbike. It's just um, you're always fighting for position. There's log jams all over the place with motors backed up. It's all up and down. So, And the roads going up are often narrow, and the roads going down are fast, so it's not easy to pass. And then you get to the Alpe d'Huez, and as today's winner said, it's just ridiculous. So, um, Or something to that effect. It's really, really hard to work on the motorbike and get any decent shots. So by the end after a few kilometers you just end up going and finding a spot a corner and working you know on on foot ed were you out with the crowds uh no i wasn't i drove through the crowds and don't think anybody uh, don't think i injured anyone's feet as i drove past but no i, I watched it from the from the top at alp d'huez um the atmosphere did look incredible though though it's, it's funny the alp seems to be it's not so spread out anymore the crowds they tend to be concentrated at, at the corners and the, the, the corner the, you know, the, virtually all the corners now have been bagged by one nationality or another and I noticed there was a the Danish corner was extremely raucous Dutch corner you know lived up to its reputation as possibly the most raucous part of the climb there's another corner a couple of bends up which might have been Norwegian yeah but it was re- you know it was insane up there and we yeah we we couldn't get the car through for a long time just because the crowds were so big so the atmosphere looked amazing and same as as the riders were coming through Again, as, as Pidgott says, it, it, it was ridiculous. But yeah, it's, it's the best atmosphere on the tour. Um, don't think anything bad happened. No, no, no accidents as far as I know. So, you know, big party, Bastille Day. So good memory for the tour, I think. Yeah, there was actually a Welsh corner there, apparently. I don't know if you noticed that, especially for Geraint, who had a good day. He did indeed, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good day for Britain all round, really, when you think about it. Because Tom Pidgott won the stage, Chris Froom third after being in the break all day, and Geraint Thomas... Uh, Fifth or sixth, or yeah, he was he was third in the sprint for with the GT guys, and then Adam Yates wasn't too far down either. 
Well, we'll talk about um, outdoors a little bit more in a while, but let's talk um, also about stage 11, Albertville to the Col de Granon, um, the uh, stage that really turned the race on its head. James, I think you said that in more than 30 years of covering the tour, you'd never seen a day like it. Yeah, I've been, uh, I, I was just astounded is not the right word, but it was magnificent. I have to think back. The only other stage I can recall that... Re- comes close to that was uh, uh, the, the the 1998 tour when uh, Marco Pontani went on the attack on the Glibier um, and dropped Ulrich and then raced down the valley and up to the Dos Alpes uh, finish to take the jersey, just launching it long. But uh, Jumbo Visma, you know, they went even longer, uh, three, three climbs out. But as Ed said in one of his stories this week, you know, you're only unbeatable until you're beatable and that's what we saw and as he also said just so astutely was he may be the strongest guy in the race but if a team is willing to lose this race and lose it all they also might win it all and that's what Jumbo did I mean they just launched and you know obviously sacrificed sacrificed Roglic um, and just isolated and wore down Pogachar and you know it was just like they just started taking and going in that damn final climb they're just like taking punches at him take attack and attack and attack and you know it's just the law of nature he's eventually going to crack yeah Pogachar really didn't seem to have any answer to it did he and 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 it was pretty obvious from very early on I mean at one point we saw uh, very early on we saw uh, Walt Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpol chatting together as they were uh, riding along it's pretty obvious that um, the other teams were going to do this um uh, Jumbo Visma in particular, but uh, yeah, Pogacar didn't really seem to have any answer to it. No, he, he didn't, but the thing that I think there were two authors of Pogacar's downfall yesterday. The first was obviously Jumbo Visma, who rode very aggressively, very assertively, but also Pogacar himself. Now, I pointed out in a story earlier this week, and a few other people have said as well, you know, he's been going for everything. He's he, every, virtually every stage, apart from the flat sprints on stages two, three, and four, you know. Van Aert won his own that day, but there was a bunch sprint behind. Apart from those three flat bunch sprints, Pogacar has been aggressive or tried to gain time on his rivals. On In the prologue, he obviously did. Um, same for everyone there. Um, st- stage five on the cobbles, he attacked. Stage six on Longwy, he won. Stage seven on La Planche de Belleville, he won. Stage eight to Lausanne, he sprinted and came third. And then in Châtel and in um, Mergev, he sprint try to out sprint the other gc guys all those efforts every day day in day out for the gain of 39 seconds and it looked brilliant but i think we were a bit dazzled by that and it was covering up the fact that he was actually expending a lot of energy for not much gain and i think that that bit him in the backside on the col du granon but then in the you know in the actual stage jumbo visma were they rode an absolutely perfect race and they also they knew, I think they knew that Vingegaard could probably at least match Pogacar. So I've got a bit of ambient, ambient siren noise here, which is a kind of perennial background noise of the Tour de France. But um, I think they realised Vingegaard could stay with Pogacar, if not drop him. And that's, that's eventually what happened. And it turned the tour on its head. And then yeah, we, we saw today at Alptuez a much more traditional stage in terms of the, you know, the way it was run. There was a, a, a break went away. Jumbo Visma controlled the race, led and led Vingegaard all the way up, and then it was kind of left to the final few kilometres of the Alps. So now Vingegaard is defending. Jumbo 
business we're defending. And now it's up to everyone else to work out how to, you know, in a way, everyone's worked out how to beat Pogacar. Now they've got to beat uh, Vingegaard and Jumbo Visma. Let's just let's just say this race is far from over. So he's 222 down. That game, that's not a game over. He's still a superior time trialist. So he, he can get some time back there. And you know, there's opportunities for him to take time still. So it's, it's, it's certainly not over. And in some ways, this might be a blessing in disguise, honestly, because I think, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I do think that, uh, that, that the team, his team made some mistakes because obviously, you know, they lost two guys to COVID. They ha- they're not the strongest team in the race. They should have maybe considered letting that jersey go and then uh, coming back in the last week and having, you know, Bora Hansgrove uh, almost had the jersey or, or, or Nielsen Palace and get, let them have it and roll with it and control the stages day in and day out. And, and that would have given his whole team a big rest, which, which would have been handy. Now they're going to get the rest, like it or not, but with a 2-minute, two, two 22-second disadvantage. Um, the game is not over. He can get that back if he's really, really good. But he's got to be really, really good. We'll take a break there, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit more about Alpe d'Huez and what we think is going to happen on the way to Paris. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. You can get more out of your rides this summer. The Hammerhead Carew 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available with industry-leading mapping, navigation and routing capabilities. Free global maps with points of interest like cafe stops and campsites mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. Seamlessly and wirelessly import routes from Strava, Kamut and more. Change or reroute on the fly with turn-by-turn directions and upcoming climbs and descents, all in clear colour. For a limited time, Ruler listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code RULERPOD at checkout. This is Ruler Conversations. I'm Ian Parkinson, James Start and Ed Pickering are on Alpe d'Huez for Rouleur. So July the 14th, La Jour de Gloire est arrivé, but no French riders anywhere near the podium and two Brits up there. Now, all the uh, top names um, are kind of taking the headlines, but we had some really uh, interesting moves from people we hadn't heard a lot of for, for a while over the past few days. Naira Quintana, Geraint Thomas, uh, Roman Bardet, uh, and today, Chris Froome. Yeah, it was a blast from the past seeing Chris Froome up the road and it was also it was I thought it was quite a it was a nice Tour de France moment wasn't it when Pidcock caught Froome on the descent and had the kind of the the past what looked like yeah I'm, I sound like I'm being a bit critical of Froome here but um, the past and the future of 
British cycling at the Tour de France were working together to you know close down the lead group at the you know in the mountains of the Tour. It's quite I thought that was quite a nice moment of symmetry. You know, Froome will be the you know Froome won't agree that you know he's the past of British cycling. So you know. I, Take take that into consideration, but that was that's I thought that was a nice poetic moment. He might agree that he is in the numbers game closer to the end of his career than the beginning of his career. That's fair to say. Whereas whereas you know uh, Pitcock is still closer to the beginning. We would assume. Well, it was his first um, Tour de France, wasn't it? But he was his descending in particular today was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm actually writing a piece inspired by this at the moment because I, I just I found that descent both of the Galibier uh, on the Telegraph as well and also the you know the quite a fair it was just it was visceral it wasn't it wasn't smooth as such I mean it it was very smooth but he moves he moves a lot when he descends he's a very physical descender and that's that's what caught my attention Um, obviously his bike went down extremely smoothly it hardly seemed to be breaking but you know the the top of the Galibier there's a there are a few hairpins at the top and a few hairpins down to Plan Lacha, where it kind of then it gets draggy down towards uh, Valois. But between those hairpins, it was it was poetic and beautiful, and it was like you know like like a bird flying. It was just so smooth and confident, and he knew his bike, he knew his body. You could see his 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 bike moving underneath him. He'd move his bike and not his body sometimes. I just thought it was mesmerising. And yeah, you know, the the stage win on Alpe d'Huez in itself is an incredibly impressive thing a memorable thing and you know a a masterpiece in pace judgment and climbing but for me the memory of that stage will always be him overtaking I think it was a Anthony Perez of Cofidis on the outside of a bend on the Galibier going at what looked like twice the speed but not looking sketchy or dangerous about it at all it was it was just beautiful and that's that's when that's what's going it's going to be one of the my kind of memories of this tour i think well it called to mind uh, a similar descent on the galibier a couple of years ago when that was julian alaphilippe who's maybe the only rider who can descend with pincock pretty great and you know it was the i think his last or penultimate day in yellow and he saved it catching uh, Bernal's group on the descent. Now, everything uh, keeps getting turned on its head in this race. And James, you said, you know, the race is, is far from over. We've got the Pyrenees still to come and an individual uh, time trial. Um, what are our predictions in terms of uh, the podium in Paris? At the moment, for, you know, on, on, a, on a sporting level, having seen today, everything I know up to this point would suggest to me that the podium should be Vingegaard, Pogacar, Thomas, and probably in that order. However, you know, I know what's happened up to now, but I don't know what's going to happen in the ponies. And it's been, it's been a funny old race. Today was quite predictable in its shape, but I think that's the only day where I've really not been surprised at the way the race has panned out. So I'm, I'm very open to being wrong. In a way, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, because I, I hope there's a lot more to come. I suspect there's a lot more to come. And Vingegaard looks great now, but we're basically halfway through the race. And not just the Pyrenees to come, but some extremely grippy stages in the Massif Central. And, you know, those can be dangerous stages. And it it could even get windy. To, you know, there's a north wind blowing tomorrow on the stage to Saint-Étienne. If they cross the Rhone Valley, then, you know, who knows what could happen. So take all that, take that prediction with a pinch of, pinch of salt. But, yeah, that's that's what it looks like on a sporting level at the moment. James may disagree. I would say the podium is, is there, the order. Ask me after Monde, and I'll give you a better 
a better, I have a better idea. The Mond climb is not a big climb, but it's a very steep climb. It plays into Pogachar's hands because he's, you know, he's the more explosive of them. And Vingegaard, you know, the harder and longer it is, the better for him. If he can take back 15, 20, 30 seconds, it's a new game. We'll see. Well, Van Aert really has been impressive, even over the last few days, hasn't he? I mean, he's played a significant role in pretty much every stage. Yep, still continues to be televisual and kind of aesthetically pleasing in the way he rides and I thought it was quite a nice moment today uh, on on the Alp when there was Pidcock a world cyclocross the world cyclocross champion riding alone up ahead and then five minutes further down the mountain Van Aert leading the GC group up in his green jersey a a former world cyclocross champion so I thought it was a nice bit of symmetry there it's it's just so much fun to watch him race because he just he makes every day he goes into every stage and going okay what can I do to make something happen today? Is it going for my own thing? Is it, you know, is it sitting up and, you know, like yesterday, I mean, he sat up and then waited for, for the yellow jersey group to, to, to catch him. Um, you know, first he went out and got the sprint points, then he hung out in the breakaway, and then at the end he was like, well, let me wait for the yellow jersey and take, you know, see if I can drive, drive the pace uh, to the bottom and then back up towards the top, you know, as far as I can. He's just, he's just always in the game trying to make something happen and I love watching him race that's it from this special edition of the Rulo Conversations podcast we'll be back soon uh, almost certainly on Monday when the race will be resting in Carcassonne ahead of the Pyrenees follow James's daily updates and photos on Rulo social media sign up for daily summaries and previews of the tour in our newsletter on ruler.cc and while you're there subscribe to the magazine as well Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.